you can uh, head downstairs. I don't see anyone in the back. Oh, Marshall will take you. So. Before we begin, let's just uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for who you are, that you are faithful to us, that we can stand on your promises. God, I ask this morning as I speak that the words from my mouth would bring honor and glory to you, that anything that isn't of you would just be forgotten. And uh, God, open the hearts here to hear what you would have to say this morning through me. In Jesus' name, amen. In my current stage, uh, or sorry, in his current stage of life, my son Simon is turning into, uh, out to be quite a stereotypical boy, uh, despite having two older sisters. I grew up with only one older sister, and I'd say growing up, I was definitely more in touch with my feminine side than most of my guy friends. Perhaps I still am, considering that uh, the other half time of my job is making things look pretty, if you will, right? Maybe that's not doing graphic design justice, but, but I know there are plenty of men out there that wouldn't consider graphic design or a particularly masculine job. Uh, my, my boss, Ron, he always jokes, uh, he's got a relative that uh, whenever, it's going to be in low German, I'll explain it, but whenever they see him, they say, nah, des noch Tusche. Basically, that means, so you're still doodling, you're still with the coloring and the drawings. But, but I guess having older sisters doesn't necessarily but become the determining factor of how much of a typical boy you'll become based on the way Simon seems to be developing. He really likes typical boy stuff. Trucks, hockey, tools, tractors, race cars, wrestling, boxing, and superheroes. You may have noticed this morning he's wearing a cape because we can't convince him otherwise. He's currently in a Batman superhero phase. Even though he has never seen any kind of Batman comic or show, he has absolutely no idea what it's all about, but he still insists on wearing his Batman costume all day, every day. And when he's not Batman, he is David or Goliath. For bedtime stories, if we're reading from his kid's Bible, it's the only story he wants to hear, the Goliath one. <laughs> the other day he grabbed a symbol. We bought him a, we bought him a drum kit for Christmas. And Still not sure if that was a good idea or not. So far, I think it's going all right. But uh, he grabbed a cymbal from, from the drum kit, and, and he grabbed his uh, drum stick, and he ran around the house. And then he would, he would stop, and he'd go in a fighting stance like this, and in his deepest little boy voice, he'd go, I'm a Goliath. <laughs> Fight me, he'd say. He loved the story of David and Goliath. There's something captivating about the story of David and Goliath, isn't there? We like that story. It's, you know, the, the underdog story, perhaps. On the one hand, it is the story of the underdog. But, but in reality, perhaps, we know Goliath didn't stand a chance against David because David had the power of God on his side. From a human perspective, David didn't stand a chance, but we know that's not the case because God was on David's side. He would win. And that's not the only uh, Bible story that's like it. God, God seems to prefer to use the lowest, the smallest, and the weakest to reveal his strength and glory. Time and time again throughout the Bible, we see God's amazing power revealed through the lowly and the weak. The mystery of his grace demonstrated in unexpected ways, ways that don't make any sense from a human perspective. 
Last Sunday, Jesse started us off on a new series going through uh, Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, Corinthians chapter 1, in other words. He introduced us to the disunity that existed in this new church and reminded us, as Paul did the Corinthians, that we must be united under the banner of Christ. This morning, I'm, I'm going to continue from where he left off, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And, and if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can go ahead. Some of the verses will be up on the screen, but uh, sometimes it's good just to read it for yourselves as well. I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. An interesting comment, an interesting verse. To start this section off, Paul divides humanity into two camps. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Modern Christianity seems to want to blur that line. In in the North American church, many have fallen to this idea that perhaps there's some special third option that will be, you know, that will still be okay for those people who are good enough. Or, or maybe there really is no perishing. Maybe everyone is saved. But in Paul's mind, as he has written it here, it is either in or out. There is no in between. Notice here that he also says, are being saved and are perishing. For some of us, this may pose a bit of an issue because Maybe you have been taught or have been told that all you needed to do was pray the sinner's prayer and that was it. You're good, you're covered, and now you can get back to living the way you were living before. It's all, I've got my ticket. I hate to break it to you, but verses like this, and there are others in the Bible as well, they, they say something different. They make it pretty clear that salvation is a process. Don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not advocating for the idea that you have to earn your salvation. I don't ever want you to think that. Through works, it, the Bible makes it incredibly clear that also we are saved by grace, through faith. But you should be evaluating your life and looking for that evidence that you follow what you say you believe. If, you're, if you've experienced the Holy Spirit at work in your life, you know it to be true. The message of the cross is the power of God and you know it Because it has changed you and you've experienced it. However, Paul says for those who are perishing, the cross makes no sense. In fact, the Greek word used here and throughout this next section as we keep reading, uh, translated as foolishness, is the word moria. Not surprisingly where we derive the English word moron. To those who are perishing, the message of the cross is idiotic. It's moronic. It doesn't follow logic. It's unintelligent. Paul continues on in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In verse 19, if we go back, Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. If you have a Bible with this, got little notes, you can look it up. And he's referencing a time when the people of Judah, and here's a little history lesson for you. The Israelites, what happened is they wanted a king, etc., etc. The kingdoms got divided. Judah was to the south. Israel was to the north. Israel got sent into exile by the Assyrians, and now the Assyrians are knocking on the door of Judah. And, and they're being invaded by the Assyrians, and King Hezekiah and the politicians of the day were trying to put their minds together to scheme up a way out of, a certain, out of certain captivity and, and probably a lot of death. He had the, the best minds on task, but the prophet Isaiah comes with a message from God saying that, you know what, he doesn't need man's wisdom. He actually doesn't need man's might. And, and in fact, later on, if you keep reading in Isaiah, God proves that he really doesn't need human help to fulfill his plan. In Isaiah 37, we read how the attacking Assyrian army has surrounded the city. And then the next morning, when King Hezekiah goes to see if their, you know, if their time has come, he finds that all 185,000 soldiers are already dead. God did exactly what he said he would do. Again, God does the unexpected just like the story of David and Goliath and so many others, God gets all the glory because it is his amazing power, his plan revealed in ways that make no sense through the eyes of human wisdom. And Paul says, just like that, just the same as that, that example in Isaiah, God again brought about his plan for salvation, the salvation of humanity through the unexpected, in a way that seems moronic to the world. In fact, in verse 21, Paul says that God was pleased to use a seemingly foolish method. God seems to delight in hiding his powerful message in plain sight. It brings him pleasure to do the unexpected, to use a way that the world will laugh at and will think is stupid. Kind of harsh. But it's true. Much of the world, if you tell them, I, I wanted to show a video of something. I was just kind of browsing YouTube. It didn't take long. I typed the word nonsense. I was going to start this sermon off talking about nonsense. I typed the word nonsense into YouTube. YouTube is garbage, by the way. I, I hate it. Um, but I typed the word nonsense into YouTube. It did not take very long for a whole bunch of videos called Christians are nonsense. Why the, why the cross is nonsense. Why Jesus is nonsense. It's just the way the world sees it. In verse 22, Paul explains how the message of the cross is foolishness to both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. The Jews had been looking for a sign for years. They were expecting their Messiah to come in as, in as a mighty king. And when he instead did the unexpected and humbled himself and died in our place, they couldn't believe it. That's not how they thought it would go. And, and so to them, a crucified Messiah was by no means the true Messiah. He was not worthy of worship. This couldn't be. 
This is why Paul calls the message of the cross a stumbling block to them. Many of the Jews in Corinth, they they couldn't accept this message because they were still looking for a sign of power. They still wanted God to be the Messiah, the powerful king, as they had interpreted the prophecies to tell. In the Old Testament account of the Jews, we find that they were always chasing after signs. God would do something amazing like provide a pillar of fire from heaven or provide food from the sky and and yet they would still disobey him time and time again. When, When we read the account of the Israelites, we are tempted to laugh at them. I've said this before and we judge them on their lack of faith. I mean, come on. If God would show up in a pillar of fire tomorrow, all my doubts would be gone, right? I don't know. Maybe we still have the same issues the Israelites did. Because I know many people who have experienced God in incredible ways, and yet over time, they let doubt creep in and cause them to question whether it was really God in that moment. Perhaps there's a warning there for us. Many Christians today seek eagerly after signs and wonders. They must have that experience. And they will keep doing the same things over and over again, in their worship and in other ways, to try and get that, get that same response out of God. They, they, want, you know, they want that. That's what they want. That's all they search after. They've, they've exchanged the message of the cross for, for something else, for a sign. That's, all they live for is signs. They don't, they've forgotten about the Savior. That's, that's, that's their whole faith is tied up in it. We must have godly wisdom in our church to discern truth when it comes to signs and wonders. They are great, they are wonderful things, but we can't get caught up there and stay there. We must remember the central message of the cross and allow it to dictate our worship. So the Jews have a difficulty with the message of the cross because it wasn't the sign of power they were looking for. But why would the message of the cross be foolishness to the Greeks and Gentiles? You see, there was a danger in that time in the church of Corinth, the same as there is now. You may remember Jesse talked about how the church in Corinth was in a place saturated with philosophers and and different ideologies and and all sorts of religions. It was a port city. Everybody kind of came there and it became a mesh, right? The people of Corinth loved to learn. They loved to gather knowledge and debate about different human ideas and, and gain human wisdom. They thought they were so intelligent, From the Greeks, we get philosophers such as Aristotle, Socrates, and and Plato. Brilliant men, brilliant thinkers who are still studied today. Logical thinkers who are heroes to many of today's modern science worshippers. And the danger for the church in Corinth was the same then as it is for us now. And that is to allow human wisdom to trump over God's wisdom. We fall into the same pattern in the church and as Christians as well. We we seek to do things on our own strength and our own wisdom. We think we will achieve something with all of our knowledge and our and our programs and our words. It's gonna be us. We try to make the message of Jesus fit together all nicely in a in a logical package so that we can defend it. We try to we try to explain it and we argue with those who don't believe, thinking somehow we will convince them. But we know. We know that we can't argue anyone into the kingdom of heaven. We won't achieve anything of eternal significance with only our human wisdom. As vast as it may be, no, God calls 
them and they must respond. Those who, those who are relying on human wisdom, God calls them and they must respond. This is all at once the power and the foolishness of the message of the cross. As Christians, we must display that message for all to see, knowing that many will find it foolish, but believing that God will use the unexpected to bring about his plan of salvation and redemption in the world around us. Paul continues in verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at the world around you today, and you will see marvels of human knowledge. We have achieved things that our forefathers would never even have dreamed as possible. We could communicate across the world instantly, have access to seemingly unlimited information and entertainment, and we can even launch a red roadster into Mars, landing the rockets that propelled it right on the launch pads where they came from. Everything calculated perfectly. But with all of our knowledge and achievement, our world is still plagued by sin and death and wars, poverty, sex trafficking, slavery, gang violence, abuse, bigotry, racism, the list goes on. What has all of our human wisdom achieved? I don't like to focus on the negative and and be the type of person that gripes about the world and its decay because I believe, I have to believe, that there are areas where God's redemption is mightily at work. But really, as far as human wisdom goes, I think Paul is right. It's nothing. It's microscopic compared to even the foolishness of God, if such a thing is even possible. I don't want you to misunderstand me, though. Paul isn't saying that he's against knowledge, And I'm not either. No, God has designed us to be curious and to investigate and to learn. The problem is that our sinfulness, in our sinfulness, we take the amazing things that God has created for us to discover and we twist them. We make them about us and our own selfish desires. We use our knowledge to destroy our fellow man. We allow our knowledge to become a point of pride and and sometimes it even causes us to think that we don't need God. Or perhaps that we are God. That is the issue. We need wisdom from God to apply the knowledge that we gain and use it for his created purpose and design. For his kingdom and his plan of redemption and salvation. Continuing on in verse 26, Paul writes this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God chose the foolish, 
the weak, the lowly, and the despised, unexpected, totally upside down when held up against human logic. God keeps playing out the story of David and Goliath over and over again. Isaac and Esau, Moses and Pharaoh, Israel and the walls of Jericho, the disciples and the Pharisees. And if we don't see God's wisdom and ultimate plan in all of this, we are the ones who become the fools. I don't know about the rest of you, but this gives me hope to be of use in the kingdom of God. Maybe you felt that you're not good enough to be involved in the ministry of the church. Maybe you don't feel like you are strong enough. Maybe you don't feel like you measure up. Well, let me tell you right now, if that's you, stop measuring yourself by human standards and start allowing God to give you your value. Paul makes it clear that through the cross, we are all able to be used by God for his glory. At the cross, the playing field is leveled. We are all sinners in need of grace, and none of us are better than the other. In fact, Paul continues on in chapter 2, demonstrating his own lack of qualification. Paul, his own lack of qualification by human standards when, when he writes, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I love how Paul puts it in 2 verse 2 when he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing. Nothing is more important to me than Jesus Christ and him crucified, the message of the cross, the foolish, stupid message of the cross. For how many of you is that statement true today? Can you, stay, can you say together with Paul that nothing else matters? That the message of the cross is at the forefront of everything you do? That the message of the cross is that powerful in your life? Brothers and sisters, the the crazy story that Jesus was beaten, bled, and died for our sins and rose again, having defeated death, changes everything. What else could be more important than to declare this great victory in your own life? But if you lack godly wisdom that comes from the Spirit, you will miss it. We need godly wisdom in the church. We desperately need the Spirit alive and active within us and within the church. God, pour out your Spirit on us. Paul explains it further in chapter 2, verse 11. He writes, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with this truth. On the one hand, it helps me to understand and come to terms with why I can share the gospel with someone and they can completely turn a blind eye to it. Oh, it's, so, it's so clearly alive and at work in my life, but, but they don't see it. 
But on the other hand, sometimes I'm bothered and I'm frustrated that, that God wouldn't just choose to do it differently. That he wouldn't just cause everyone to be saved upon hearing the amazing message of the cross that they, that they would have no choice. I know there's whole church divides in theology over the issue as to whether it's humanity's free will that holds back the power of God or, or God's divine election and predestination. At the end of the day, though, I'm only responsible for my own actions and my decisions. And I will continue to strive after Christ. I will continue to allow God to work out his plan of salvation in me. And I will continue to tune into the Spirit and allow him to fill me with the wisdom that comes from God and only from God. What about you? If we were to jump ahead, beginning in, in chapter 3, I'm, that's beyond what I was assigned to preach, we'd see that Paul calls the church in Corinth still babies, still babies in the faith. They're still living by the wisdom of the world. It, it's causing disunity. They're still wanting to be Goliath in, instead of trusting God's power like David. Sisters and brothers in Christ, we need to learn from the example of the church in Corinth, and we need to seek after godly wisdom. Let's allow the message of the cross to change us and to shape us into the unexpected servants of the Most High King, the one in whom we can boast and who will change the world, redeem the world, bring about of his plan of salvation through us, through our brokenness, through our failures even. He will bring about change in the world as a body and as, as a community as we are united in him. That's why we need godly wisdom in the church. We need to put the cross at the center of our focus and rely on the power of God and his wisdom. Amen.